Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Muddy Knees Media. And welcome to Series Linked in association with Paddy Power. I'm TV journalist Emma Bullymore, and as ever, I'm joined by Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. On this week's podcast, we're joined by sitcom acting hero Ralph Little, who is here to discuss the current series of Death in Paradise. And as always, me and Jeffers will be leaving you with some top telly tips for the week ahead. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Jeffers, how are you doing? You look the the shade of a very white sheet. Well, I'm all right. I've been watching lots of really serious, heavy documentaries about Holocaust denial and death and stuff. So I'm just really pleased to see your smiling face and to be back in the studio, to be honest. <laughs> I'm more entertaining than all the miserable stuff you've been watching. How, how complimentary, Jeffers. And we've got a great guest. Right, well, let's not waste any time. Our special guest this week starred in The Royal Family and Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, both iconic. Uh, and he's now on our screens in the leading role of D.I. Neville Parker in Death in Paradise. Welcome to Series Linked, Ralph Little. So, nice gig in the Caribbean. I mean... What's not to love, right? You can't complain about that, can you? I mean, people do. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't complain about that. Yeah, I'm delighted. What a joy. So, when this first turned up, did you have to read the character first or immediately like, this is great? The character sort of didn't actually... I mean, there there was an idea for the character, but I was incredibly lucky to be asked to... and involved in, in developing some thoughts about him, which... Was I, you know, I couldn't believe my luck. I was going into the, the production offices at Red Planet, just going, "So what am I here for?" And they're like, "Well, we just want to know if you've got any ideas." And I was like, "Really? That's amazing! <laughs> like, that's never happened to me before, unless I've written it." Um, so uh, yeah, it, no, it wasn't a fully formed character. They had the name, and they had a very, um, uh, they had the, the beginnings of an important premise. They had a jumping-off point, which was, it was a lovely way of phrasing it, which was that um, uh, the detectives when. When Ben Miller's character, Richard Poole, first arrived in Summary, he, he hated it. He just didn't want to be there. He wanted to go home, hated the island. And then uh, Chris Marshall, as Humphrey, had a different relationship. He was quite happy to be there and was a different sort of type of person. Um, Jack Mooney, Ardell Handler's Jack Mooney, quite liked the island and that was fine. But they wanted to go back to the conflict between the sense of place, a fish out of water, essentially. They wanted to go back to that kind of thing that Ben had had. But they didn't want to just do the same thing. So they came up with this lovely idea, and I do think it's a really neat phrase, which is, Ben, as Richard Poole, hated the island. Neville loves the island, but the island hates him. Which I think is actually a really neat phrase. And and it tells you exactly what you're aiming at. But 
it's easier to say as a neat as a phrase to be coined than it is to actually execute in a script because it's like you don't, you don't want to be like doing too much of going Neville says so where were you on the night on last Thursday night he then scratches his arms because it's like it gets just too tedious so yeah there was this kind of basically the idea being that um Neville loved being there but he's if he's just he's a host of allergies and problems so you know it, it, the heat kills him and uh and, you know you get like a sweat rash and he's fainting and uh he's allergic to every type of pollen on the island and sand aggravates his skin so does the wildlife and so does the lizard in the shack yeah this gorgeous shack with this incredible view know, and he's yeah. like i don't want it but you see that's what we try to go for is the view does in fact i think i have a line i go wow that's quite a view the, the thing opens and he's like wow that's that's amazing because it is amazing but it, the fact is, as amazing as it is, he's still going to get feasted on by mosquitoes for the entire night and he's going to be allergic to the lizard that lives in the tree. In fact, I've got, is that a tree? Because <laughs> there's a tree growing in the middle of it. That conflict, I think, was very important to them and important to me when we came up with what to distinguish Neville from the previous characters. And did you struggle personally with the surroundings? Because me and Emma have both been out there and it's lovely, it's very hot, but it's also very, very humid. It, it can be quite difficult in between takes, I'd imagine. I mean, it's challenging. It's not without its challenges. That I think there's a, a bit of a perception, which I'm probably not helping to dispel, that it's just a big old party and it's great fun. I mean, it is great fun, <laughs> but it's um, you know, it's challenging. It's, it's as you said, it's hot out there and it's humid, especially if it's rained in the morning. Then the afternoons, it's like a, it's like a sauna. It's about energy management. Ardell told me he said, just make sure you conserve your energy. I think so. I'm quite glad that I'm like relatively fit because uh, I think you know it can be it could be very very difficult. Long days. Hot, long hours, difficult conditions. But as I keep saying, at the end of the day, instead of sitting in a car for two hours going home in the rain and the dark, you can swim in the Caribbean Sea. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. And Ardell used to have these chamois that were dipped in buckets of ice and put around his neck in between takes. That was one of his little secrets. Did he pass that on to you? He, he certainly that? did, yeah. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a shout out to the makeup girls here, um, Jilly and Becky. They were on it. Like, anytime, bless them, they sort of took it upon themselves to be, like, my own personal... Like, aside from doing my makeup, which was their job, they really kind of took me under their collective wing and were like, right, we'll keep an eye on them. And if ever I looked like I was like... Like just on my own, just because I wouldn't try and make a fuss about it. I might just go and sit in a corner and just kind of try and cool down a little bit. They'd be over immediately, ice cold chamois straight on my forehead. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Fan me like Cleopatra. <laughs> it was brilliant. That's, that, you've got to be careful for that not to go to your head. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Like occasionally I was like, should I get my own chamois? And they're like, no, no, don't worry, we'll do it. And I was like, excellent. <laughs> But it's a big deal, Death in Paradise. It's it's massive for BBC One. You're the leading man. Does that weigh heavy on your shoulders or is it exciting? Oh, it's just exciting. I'm delighted. It feels like I've had a few people. There's a few people on Twitter. Everybody's so lovely on Twitter. Everyone's really excited about it. But a few people have said things like, oh, great. It's great to finally have you back on TV. Oh, it's great. It's great to have you back. It's great. And, and it's a bit like, like, I'm not like upset by that. It's a bit like I never went anywhere. I've been working solidly for 22 years now. And in some big hits. But the thing is, the two biggest hits I was in, and particularly the first one I was in, it was so massive that everything else, those that's what people remember. So what's lovely about, and that was 20 years ago. So, you know, being in the royal family 20 years ago was a massive blessing. wouldn't change it. And Two Pints was a blessing, but the royal family in particular. I wouldn't change it for all the money in the world. But it was 20 years ago, as time has gone on, and I'm about to turn 40, and it's a bit like, this is really exciting for me because it really feels like the start of a new chapter. You know, to, to play the lead in a BBC One show and a beloved BBC One show at that is just a huge honour. I'm just really excited. And I say I'm really excited. It's It goes out um, on Thursday. Uh, I'll probably be not going on social media because I don't need to. If people didn't like me, 
I don't need to see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll just wait till they fire me. <laughs> They're a fairly friendly bunch, I reckon, Death in Paradise fans. I think you'll be all right. I think so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, people people always feel protective of the things they love. People love Death in Paradise. And quite rightly so. I'm a fan of the show. Always have been. So. And another question on the character. You've got to be a bit careful because with something like Death in Paradise, there is a danger that it could get a bit hammy, I guess. And I think Radio Time says you've got a light comic touch and a certain charm, your character. And is, I guess that's, what you, would, that's oh, what you were aiming for, I'll, I guess. I'll take that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you say that. When I was younger, I used to watch myself and everything. I, I have a theory that... Uh, do I have a theory? I suppose I do have a theory. Certainly for me, uh, as an actor, I feel like I'm getting worse as I get older. In any other kind of walk of life, you get better as you get older because you get more experience. All I do is when I was younger, I was like, I'm brilliant at this. Like, I can do anything. And now I'm like... Can I? Oh, was that okay? And, you know, the last thing you want is to kind of be racked with this um, constant self-evaluation. You just have to lose yourself in the moment. That's that's what you need to be doing. You don't want to be watching yourself all the time. Luckily, professionally, I can still do that. But it does mean that I have stopped enjoying watching myself a few years ago. I used to watch everything I was in. I used to be, <laughs> So you won't watch this at all? I probably will. I, well, I haven't had a chance yet because... Um, <laughs> because they forgot to send me they were like hey have you enjoyed it I was like I don't know I've not seen it yet <laughs> they're like oh sorry we'll send you a link I'll probably watch tomorrow I'll probably watch when it goes out with my mother who's staying with me I'll watch the first one and I'll probably cringe through it uh, but that's not because of the quality of me or the show that's just because these days I cringe through everything I, I'm in I saw Inside Number 9 was on the other night and everyone was delighted by it come watch it I mean I did watch it because I needed to know what it was like and I was like wow Steve's amazing wow Reese is brilliant wow Dave's doing this amazing performance I was like what am I doing why am I doing that I, I, so in answer to your question yes it could have been really hammy I luckily people don't seem to think so but everything I see myself in I think I'm really hammy anyway so does that mean when you were playing Anthony back in the day, were you quite pleased with that? Are you confident? No, oh yeah, no I was worries? young then. And you yeah. were braver then, were you? I was young and cocky. It's not even brave. I didn't. I don't think I make particularly different choices as an actor. I just think I'm less happy with them afterwards, after the fact. I put myself under too much self-scrutiny, so I just it's easier not to bother. It's funny with all the obsession with Gavin and Stacey at the moment, people say, oh, they'll be back every couple of years for a special. That used to be you guys. It used to be know. You know, every other Christmas it would be a royal family. Yeah. And how do you look back at that chapter and... And how much people loved it and, and being yeah. part of that. It's difficult to talk about without sounding um, without sounding big-headed, really. But the, what I always say is, look, I didn't write it. I didn't produce it. I was just this kid who was lucky enough to be dragged along with it. So in, in a way, I feel like it's okay for me to talk about it almost just like a fan. I forget that I'm in it, I, which is another reason I like watching it. <laughs> so I'll watch it and be like, this is brilliant. Oh, wait, there's me. It's hard to overstate the, the effect that it had and the impact that it had, really. In a weird way where it sits in memory and in historically in terms of British television was almost sort of slightly weirdly overshadowed by The Office. Not, I'm, I'm the biggest Office fan in the world, but the royal family came along and set the ground for everything. Cha completely changed uh, at that time what British comedy was. It defined comedy for a decade at least. And once it did that and established its platform and it got into its stride, it just sort of basically finished as The Office swooped it. So rather than Rather than the royal family finish and leave a void in people's hearts and minds, and people go, oh, wow, that was amazing. We'll never see the like again. Hopefully, well, we'll be lucky. And then the office comes in two years later. What happened was the royal family vacated that, that emotional territory and the office just slid perfectly into it, as it deserved to, because it's just the most extraordinary show. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to overstate how... And Gervais himself, bless him, has said, you know, without the royal family, the office would never have been. And um, But it's funny, I, I feel like... Somehow the office has, now carries that that era-defining quality that people remember. And yet, actually, I think pound for pound, we were right up there. 
Caroline said in interviews that she wanted Sue and she wanted Ricky. How did you get involved in that gang? And what, what was your first scene like with, with all of them? I'd been doing bits and pieces as a kid because there was a dr- local, local drama group that was set up in Bury, where I'm from, when I was about, I don't know, 13 or something. Hard to believe this, but I was actually very loud and precocious as a kid. So I think my mum was just desperate for me to get out of the house after football on a Saturday morning. So she saw this advert in the local paper for this local drama group that was starting up and she said, do you want to go to that? Said, yeah, sure. So I went to it. And then about six months later, the woman who ran it set up an agency for kids, an acting agency. And I didn't know, even know what an agency was. My mum told me, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Didn't think anything of it. And about six months after that, I did an audition for a kids show called Sloggers, written by the late, great Sid Woodell, the darts commentator. And he also wrote a big hit kids show when I was even younger called Joss's Giants, which was about a kids football team. Brilliant, it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, Sloggers, that Sid wrote, was the cricket version of Joss's Giants that nobody watched. Oh. <laughs> and, and has no place in people's memory or hearts. I don't remember it. Too. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, I was in it. Yeah, I was one of the, the sort of lead kids in it. And uh, so that was my start when I was 13. And I did with this kids agency. I did about, I don't know, one job a year throughout my teenage years, like an episode of Heartbeat here and there. And... Um, an episode of Corrie and a bit of Children's Ward, all that kind of thing. So, in 1997, my suspicion is, I never got this confirmed, I've never actually asked, but my suspicion is Caroline wanted, you know, someone who was relatively experienced, easy, but I, I'm, I would bet my house that they said to the casting director at Granada TV, look, we can't be bothered seeing hundreds of kids, which is what normally auditions were in, for, for kids in those days. Just send along three or four that you know. And I'd just done Children's Ward for Granada, so I got the call. And it was this really weird call. Yeah, Carolina Hearn wants to audition you tomorrow. Like, wait, what? So I went in and I'd not long been past my driving test. So I drove my dad's old rusty old Ford Fiesta, which was bright yellow with a blue go faster stroke. And I drove that into Granada TV. Because you remember when you first learned to drive, you're like, I'll drive everywhere. Yeah. Totally inconvenient. <laughs> like, it was much easier just to get like the train. So I parked up, went in, dead nervous, went in, met Caroline. Caroline Craig was like, oh, yeah. Uh, hi, hi. You all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's come in, and I read, and I, I can't even remember what I read, just a, a sort of a, a early scene. But here's the thing. I thought I was terrible. I must have only been in there for like five minutes. An audition's probably about 20 minutes, half an hour usually. thought I was in there for five minutes. thought I was awful. Walked out. Bye, thinking, blew that. Oh, well, whatever. Never mind. Walked out. Got a parking ticket because I hadn't worked out how to park properly by then. <laughs> got a parking ticket. Thought, this is not my day got in the car and drove home and by the time I'd got home they'd already called to say that they wanted me and that was the day that changed my life did you expense your parking ticket <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been a bold move for a 17 year old who'd never done uh, any major TV so yeah I mean absolutely the day that changed my life because I, I wasn't I had real, no real plans to do it as a career I was all planned and ready to go to medical school so like really yeah yeah wow. yeah I, st- I actually started started med school How'd your mum feel about that? Uh, she, was, <laughs> she wasn't best pleased. Well, the Royal Family was broadcast in, the, in 1998. So we, we filmed it September to December 97. And then it was shelved for nine months until 98, which was a, terrible for me because already for that nine months, I was like, well, I might have a chance to be an actor, which I never even really thought. I mean, I would have loved to, but I, I never even really believed it was something that could have been done. But I might have this chance. But equally, I need to make a decision about going to med school and, and I, need to, I need to start in September 98. As it turned out, talk about a crossroads in life. The Royal Family was broadcast episode one in the same week as I started medical school. I started on the Monday and the Royal Family was broadcast on the Thursday. And um, within about four weeks, I was like, I have to quit medical school and give this a go. Wow. Yeah. 
And the other big show that everyone talks about a lot with you, obviously, Ralph, is mm-hmm. Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps. Yeah. There's been various rumours knocking around that there might be a possible new episode or one-off. What Can you tell us anything about Well, you about can that? blame Will Mellor for that. Because <laughs> he can't keep his mouth shut on Instagram. No, um, okay, so this is what I know. There was a load of people messaging me on Twitter going, oh, great, Two Pints is coming back. And then there was a headline going, brilliant, Two Pints is confirmed to come back. And I was thinking, well... Either that's not true or I'm not in it. (laughs) And uh, I suspected, you know, maybe it was the latter. So I called Will and what had actually happened was that Will had said that he'd spoken to Susan, the writer, which he had, and that she'd said that she'd be really interested in trying to put together something that was either a two-pint spin-off or bringing it back or something. So it was really just an early conversation that they'd had and Will was like, well, you know, um, we'll talk to the guys, get Natalie, Catherine, um, Sheridan and me and myself back and that was sort of it and then we'll it's not fair to say he's got no filter but he's very excitable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. so I'm going hey I got great news so I've been talking to Susan Nixon and uh, hey two bites is coming back and that's not quite what was <laughs> happening what that did was by happy accident was it made everybody realise that there's a real appetite for it because it was it was a hu- it was huge news and everybody seemed really really excited in a way that we couldn't really have predicted so then I talked to Susan and Will and I said, well, look, what's going on? And Susan's like, um, yeah, I'm still really interested in the idea. So she's putting together some sort of idea. But that's a long way from her taking it to the BBC, the BBC wanting to do it and so on and so on. So is it coming back? No. Is it out of the realms of possibility? Also, no. Do you um, think you get away with it now? Well, actually, so, well, the thing that is happening is that me and Will are, we've been complaining for years about how, you know, in between jobs, we've just got nothing to do. And we're complaining that, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry setting up podcasts left, right and centre, call them what you will. Dad wrote a porno, series linked, all sorts of nonsense. (laughs) Uh, So, so we were like, well, why don't we? Like me and Will particularly make each other laugh a lot. So we've just decided to sort of do a podcast, like a film podcast of us talking to see how it evolves and, and just see if people are interested. So, yes, me and Will are filming some online content and yes, it's in a pub and yes, there's two pints sitting in front of us, but that's at the moment that's as close as it gets. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Anyway, in answer to your question, we, we actually recorded some stuff yesterday, Will and I, and we were we were doing a watch along and we were re-watching the musical episode of Two Pints and we were looking at it going, I don't, think you can say that <laughs> I don't think you can but it was interesting because I can't think of an actual TV show that has ever really quite has gone as out there as some of the stuff that we said it didn't seem that much of a big deal at the time it, you know it was a bit oh, hey, naughty but like now you go did we say that really and I think the only show I can think of that was as kind of graphically outrageous as that was the in-betweeners but obviously a very different tone so would it be like a more sanitized two pints not necessarily. It would possibly have to be the same, but just be a bit, not even cleverer, but just be aware of, of the modern world and what, what has happened to language. And, um, you know, and to be clear, I'm very much not one of these, oh, you can't say anything these days, Brigade. Mostly follow Stuart Lee's thoughts on that, which is, you know, within reason, if people are offended by things, then um, if there's a way of saying it that doesn't offend them, then, then why not? So, um, yes, could we get away with it? I don't know. We'd have to be thoughtful about it. But that doesn't mean to say it couldn't happen. And to bring it back up to present day, how long do you see yourself playing D.I. Neville Parker for? Is it most of the people seem to stay there for a good few series? Would you like to play it some more? 
my missus might have an opinion on this, but I'd be happy doing it for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I slightly irritated everybody. At first, they were thought it was delightful. And then as time went on, I think I irritated a lot of the crew because I only arrived halfway through the series. So I did mid-July to September. Because it's hard and because it's hot and because it's long hours and, you know, it's a demand, physically demanding and mentally demanding thing to do and you're away from home a lot, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, i got no kids, no responsibilities. My girlfriend's American, so I'm often in the States anyway, so I don't... You know, I don't get homesick for being here and, you know, I'm used to it. Life-wise, I'm strategically in the perfect position to do this show. But I should say the caveat to that being, instead of everyone being out there for five months, I was only there for two and a half months. So I arrive halfway through and everybody's like, not jaded, but they're like, oh, this is kind of, this can be hard work, can't it? I arrive and I'm like, hey, how great <laughs> is this? Aren't we lucky? Aren't we the luckiest people in the world? And for a couple of weeks, they were all like, yeah, yeah, but... This guy's a breath of fresh air. It's so exciting. After about week three, they started to be like, can you chill out now? We're knackered. Stop being excited about everything. This is still a job. And I was like, I know, but it's the best job in the world. Isn't it? So uh, so next time around when you've got the full five months. Well, that's what I'm wondering at the moment. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait and I can't wait to do it. But who knows, maybe sort of three, three and a half months in, I'll be like... Whew, yeah, this is uh, this is getting tough. Did you get to get your missus over though and show around and yeah. do all that whole? Well, she's a writer, so you know, arguably, unless she's specifically on a, a project, a theatre project or whatever, she can she can do her job anywhere. She was very much enamoured with sitting on a Caribbean beach and watching the waves break by her feet while sort of knocking together a Hollywood screenplay. So, <laughs> Who wouldn't be? I mean. It's very difficult to convince people that it's not just a, like the biggest party ever. But, you know, it's not. It, it, it's hard work, but I just, I don't know, I loved it. But like I say, I was only there for half a stint. Let's see. Anyone can do a half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> and we always ask, what kind of TV do you like? What are you watching at the moment? Well, I'm not just saying this because I'm in it, but um, Inside Number 9, I've long thought Great, is like it? the most extraordinary um, uh, show on, on British TV. Steve and Reese are amazing. Steve's a mate of mine. Well, that's because they both are mates of mine now, but Steve I've known for a long time. And who was also in my first episode of Death of Paradise. So what a joy that was to be out there with, with a mate for my for my first app. I did think it was like a wife swap that you were in Inside Number 9. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, but we filmed ours in the freezing November in Ealing Studios. <laughs> I feel like he did better out of the deal. <laughs> so that's a British one. American, I think Rick and Morty's the best show on TV. I think it's just unbelievable. It's an extraordinary show. But with a special mention to probably, in a weird way, South Park beats both of them, in my, in my estimation, simply because, you know, Inside Number 9, understandably, takes a year to write and make and whatever. So does uh, Rick and Morty, because it's just sublime. It's, it's the most per- perfection uh, in writing. But South Park, they do each episode in a week, and it means that they can stay current in a way that shows tend to have... I think, a a natural lifespan. You know, they tend to, not always, but they tend to, particularly American shows or long-running shows, they tend to hit their stride, especially comedies, they tend to hit their stride series, sort of end of series two, three, four, they hit their peak, five, six, seven, they start to run out of ideas, everybody's slept with everyone else, nobody quite knows what to do with the characters anymore. You know, not always, but that feels like a pretty normal lifespan for a show. And South Park can, can continue as long as they can be bothered because... They just react to what's going on in the world. They, they, oh, what should we talk about this week? What, what annoyed you at the weekend? This, okay, right, uh, okay, I'll write it. We'll start animating tomorrow. It, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and and you know, people have sort of used to love South Park and then sort of forgotten about it again. But it continues to be, I think, it's the pinnacle of, com- of comedy. I think, I, I like The Office is like basically my favourite show ever. I think Rick and Morty is the the best sort of thing out there, but South Park is just in terms of what it what it is and what it achieves it's it's untouchable 
Thanks to Ralph. Death in Paradise is on Thursday nights on BBC One at nine o'clock. And of course, it's available on the iPlayer as well. Time now to welcome back our mate Amy Jones from Paddy Power, who is here with the latest odds to help us predict the future of the small screen. Hi, Amy. Hello, how are we? Good, thank you. You're right. I'm good, yeah. I'm ready to do some predictions. I feel like a psychic now. <laughs> psychic. Our very own Mystic Meg. Hit us with it. So like, where should we start? Should we start with Coronation Street? Good because plan. that is hitting 10,000 episodes, which is amazing, on Friday. And we've priced up the odds of it to reach 20,000, and it's only four to one. That's, that's fairly safe, isn't it? That's pretty safe, but it's also pretty amazing. I was sat, because we were talking about this uh, before before we did the pod, and I was trying to work out how long that would take. If you put the money on, because basically if you put a tenner on, you're going to get 50 quid back, so it's quite good. But you might be waiting 50 years or whatever for this. I know they have more episodes these days, but I mean, it's a long old, it's a long old way. I think you've got to be looking for maybe a different bet. What about Ken Barlow's been married so many times? What about the odds on, say, him getting married again? Yeah, so eight to one, you're looking out for him to be married again. And, you know, you could see that one. I mean, it, fits, it feels like it happens every sort of couple of years. <laughs> I'll so. put a 20p on that. That feels <laughs> good. If you just told me that he got married again, I think our traders would be like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, I probably <laughs> did. <laughs> and we have BAFTAs at the weekend. We've got some Oscars odds for us. We do, yes. Obviously, some of the results of the BAFTAs made some of these Oscars odds even shorter, seem even more certain. To give you an example, best actor, Joaquin Phoenix, is now 1 to 20 odds on which is a 95% chance of winning to give you an idea if you put a quid on you'd get a 5p profit so <laughs> basically don't do that <laughs> and what about in the best picture market I guess that's probably the biggest award of the night in some ways is Joker in with a chance with that as well yeah so what's interesting with best picture is that's by far our most kind of frequent most amount of bets we've taken on that and Joker is 10 to 1 so not at all a favourite but in March it was 25 to 1 and it's, it's seen by far the most amount of bets. So even though it isn't the favourite, that's 1917, it is popular. And Parasite has also been really popular. That's the second favourite, a little over three to one, which I think is quite an interesting one. Who's likely to win the Best Actress one? Best Actress, again, another absolute, you can bet like it's one of them. Renee Zellweger, one to 18 odds on, 94% wow. chance for Judy, for her role as Judy. It's unbelievable, that one. The next most likely is Scarlett Johansson. She's 10 to one. So it looks like you might as well stick... Renee's name on it now. How do they know this, though? Scarlett Johansson's a popular. She's a, I would have thought she'd be in with a better shout than that. I think you've got, obviously, all the previous awards becoming the lead-up, and it is, I guess they're an indicator, and I guess volume of bets as well helps to decide it, I suppose. That's it, yeah. So they'll kind of look at previous award wins, they'll look at volume of bets, and really what we find with like Best Actor and Best Actress, like I say, they're so odds-on. They're not that interesting, but Best Director is much closer between Sam Mendes and between Boon Jong-ho. He's he's three to one, but has been unbelievably popular for Parasite. So I think actually the smart money is probably more on those markets than the more obvious ones. Good tip. Thanks very much, Amy. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks. That's Amy Jones from Paddy Power. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert, Tom holds it together and Paddy, well, Paddy's funding the whole thing so he insisted that he gets to be involved. (laughs) The first episode is available to download now. You're listening to Series Linked. Make sure you subscribe to the channel for the biggest TV interviews. Next week, it's Charlie and Daisy Mae Cooper from this country. That's almost it for this episode of Series Linked. 
but we can't let you go without a couple of telly recommendations. That's what me and Jeffers do. So what's caught your eye this week, Jeffers? I'm going a bit off piece for me. This isn't necessarily the sort of thing I'd normally watch. It's called Lock and Key. It starts on Friday on Netflix. It's 10 parts. It's a little bit sort of fantasy. There's no real big names in it, but it's about a family, three siblings and a mum, and they move to this kind of haunted house and there's magic keys in the house. There's ghosts. They're sort of evil spirits. What? What is this? It's the sort of thing I think people are going to enjoy watching, maybe with a hangover on a Sunday morning or something like that. I've seen some reviews in the States and they're saying, if you like, say, Riverdale, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, if you're fans of those kind of shows, Stranger Things, I think you're really going to like this. But as I say, there's no real big names. It's just sort of fantasy and and sort of... Supernatural. Yeah, supernatural and spooky kind of goings on. And it's it's quite light-hearted. It's not too... I don't think it's going to scare anyone so they're having nightmares, but it's quite fun. Well, obviously, I thought you were going to pick the Taylor Swift documentary because I know you're such a fan of uh, country pop crossover. Um, <laughs> but that's, that seems a nice recommendation. Uh, Inside number nine, I was going to suggest that started this week. Obviously, Ralph was in the first episode. Always brilliant, Stephen Reese. Each tale is completely different and fantastic. But I'm going to go with Home on Channel 4. This is series two. And I just think it's a beautiful little gem of a comedy. Anyone I know who's watched it loves it but I still don't think enough people are watching it. It's about a Syrian refugee, which makes it sound worthy. It's not. He finds... It's sort of fish out of water, I suppose. He finds himself with this middle-class couple. Rufus Jones plays the stepdad, the the bloke of this couple, who is Brexit voting and very much turns his nose up at this refugee, but his heart is melted, obviously. And his partner is played by Rebecca Staten, who is brilliant. It's just funny and smart and it has heart to it. It's relevant, but it's not preachy. And I think it's lovely. And it's back this week and everyone should watch it. Channel Well, I missed this first time round, so now I'm definitely on your recommendation. I'm going to give it a watch. Boom. Brilliant. Thanks, Jeffers. That's all we have time for, though. This has been the Series Linked podcast in association with Paddy Power. If you've enjoyed it, and obviously we really hope you have, then go on, do your good deed for the day, leave us a five-star rating, a little review. It would really help us out. And make sure you're subscribed as well so you can catch the next episode when it drops on Thursday morning. For now, though, bye-bye. See you next week. Muddy Knees Media. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.